Lord, we think of these amazing thoughts uh, already this morning, that you are our solid rock, our refuge, that you know our name, that you're mindful of us, that you have this, this love for us that we, it's so hard sometimes for us to comprehend because it doesn't seem to measure up the way that we would understand it or the way that we would expect it. And so in all these things, Lord, we pray that it would lead us today to uh, find in you a safety to be honest and to express uh, where uh, we need you. And so we pray that you would uh, work in a wonderful way uh, in us and through us. Uh, We look forward to the things that you want to show us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a great start to the morning. Thank you, Kathy and choir. Uh, thank you, Brian and Alicia. Uh, what a great start. We, we are in week three of this series that we're doing together called Elevate Your Life. And hopefully you've been able to get a, a guidebook, and if not, you can grab one on your way out. Uh, but we've been uh, working through these first eight weeks together of the year, uh, thinking about what it looks like for God to become the architect of our goals and our dreams and our resolutions and the things that we think of when we have a fresh start. When, when, when it's a new year, there's something in us that says, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to try to do some things or let, uh, I, I want to see some things happen in my life. And we're, in, in many ways, what we're trying to do is we're trying to turn that whole experience uh, upside down or maybe I would say right side up. That instead of saying that we want God uh, to kind of join us at the end once we've created everything and God, would you give us the strength now to do it or would you bless this? Uh, we're saying... What do you want to do? What do you want to do in our lives uh, this year? And we're listening and re-listening. And so it's a kind of a, a, a neat uh, process. But, but here, here, let me warn you this. This is, this is the week that researchers tell you this, that uh, of the 50% of Americans who, who do this, they make resolutions, goals at the beginning of the year, 80% of people abandon them this week. This is week three, okay? This is the week where people give up. In fact, uh, the, the, the uh, phrase that's trending right now is resolution fail. Hashtag resolution fail. So uh, you might see uh, words like this, people saying things like this, uh, got ready for the gym, packed my gear, went for a burger instead. Resolution fail, right? Or bought uh, bought my twin sister workout clothes for our birthday. We have yet to lift anything but a fork. Resolution fail. And so this is what we see. We see sometimes we have these aspirations, these goals, these dreams, these resolutions, things that we know can make better. Uh, But but uh, we, we are most assured to, to experience a resolution fail if, if what we're asking is for God to, in essence, be the caboose of this instead of the leader. This process is a process. We're spending eight weeks. And so if you're joining us now, this is the first week. You're not behind, okay? This is, we're spending eight weeks thinking and rethinking, listening and re-listening. The whole experience is about grabbing a pencil and expecting to use a, a, your eraser a lot because we're, as we're listening to God and we're letting him form these ideas in us, Uh, We're trying to understand better. And so the idea through this is that you'll spend time each week uh, uh, in a devotion time. You'll be listening to scripture. Uh, uh, There's a whole, there's instructions on how to spend one time a week uh, where you're listening to a psalm. And and, and the idea comes from uh, Psalm 1. Not just that we would try to study it, but we let this psalm, instead of us knowing the, the, the scriptures in some ways, we want, or getting into the scriptures, we want the scriptures to get into us. And so uh, in week one, we talked about how the psalmist says that we meditate on, on God's word day and night. And so we're, we're thinking,
thinking and rethinking. We're letting that, 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 uh, the, the psalm kind of uh, dig roots deep down into our heart. And so there, there's that. There's this time that we have together today. Uh, and so we encourage you, be here for all eight weeks, uh, uh, all the weeks uh, left as well. Uh, and if you can, be in a life group. Be in a group where you can talk about this with other people and think these ideas through. Now, one of the reasons why I think some, so many people, it was interesting, in week one, I asked how many people were excited or, or, were, or were sad to see 2017 go. And all three services, I had, I, I mean, I, a handful of hands that went up. Most people seemed to be excited that the year was over and that there was a fresh start coming. And I know in some ways there's a lot that happens. For some of us, 2017, we're, we're excited to see it go because we just see the struggle and the suffering. Uh, we just think of that. I mean, just think of it just in our culture. There was all kinds of things in our culture. There was all kinds of uh, threats and things going on. We saw all, we've seen all these things going on with uh, 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 assault, sexual assault, and, and, and all these kinds of things that are happening in, in uh, industry. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing for the first time, I, I remember growing up in the 80s and being uh, afraid of nuclear war. I've never seen world leaders uh, using uh, social media, Twitter, you know, tweeting at each other about how big their bombs are and buttons are and things. It's like, wow, like this is, we, we do know this is a big thing. And so your heart kind of races a little bit. And so you can imagine, I, uh, I, I've been talking to some friends and trying to figure out like, what was it like being in Hawaii when there was a false missile crisis when you thought there was actually a missile, there was reason to believe. And people were hiding in closets and crying, thinking this was happening. There's reason to, uh, to feel a little bit of fear right now now. And so there's stress that comes. Uh, we, I know for us, uh, you know, beyond you get to the, the big world issues, I know some of us have just experienced these real issues in our personal world. I know uh, some of you lost someone so important to you. I felt like we did too many funerals last year, people too young, too early to be able uh, to be doing those. Uh, some of you are dealing with uh, the feelings of failure in, in, in relationships and in marriage and career and all these things. Uh, even health issues, I, I think for Kim and I, we, we had our first real scares with our family where when you start getting into a new year and you're praying for health and, 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 uh, and safety for your family, we're, we're really saying, yes, Lord, please, please bring, bring this to our family. And it's interesting because what we see in this, if you think about it, when you feel this stress of this stuff going on, it's not isolated, is it? In fact, in many ways, what happens is that stress leads itself into a lot of the bad habits that we develop. For some, it even uh, develops into addictions and other uh, deeper things. But, but feeling these deep things can, can kind of, not just in those moments, it goes deep into our lives and we have to think about what this means. And all this comes from the sense of disappointment. Uh, disappointment and suffering uh, and disappointment, at the heart of disappointment, is unmet ex- expectations. So we hope something or think something should be here, and it winds up here. And that gap there is what creates that sense of disappointment uh, for us. And, and, and when we think about our disappointment with God, the disappointment is that we think we should be here with God, and, and this thing with God, our, our life with God should feel like this, and there are seasons it feels like this. And that gap there creates this sense of disappointment with, with God. And, and this morning we're going to talk a little bit about that because we all struggle, we all suffer, we all face disappointment in life. And sooner or later you will see, as the scriptures point out, you will face a sense of disappointment with God. 
And we can experience suffering and struggle for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's the result of the evil someone else has. I mean, think of the biblical story of the life of Joseph. He had no, it wasn't his plan to be sold into slavery by his brothers. That was something evil his brothers chose to do. Uh, Or sometimes there are things that are outside our control. We can't control uh, some of the choices our companies make uh, that affect us or how someone else feels. You may be working towards reconciliation with someone, but you can't control how someone else is going to respond. You can only control yourself. Sometimes the consequences come because we, be honest, we live against God. Uh, We rebel against him. We do things that we, we look at and say, you know, I've gotten myself into this trouble And other times we find ourselves in this place because of the fact we are living for God. I mean, the numbers are staggering. I don't know if you've seen some of the numbers of the number of Christians who not only are persecuted every year, uh, but the number of Christians who were martyred, even in the last year, who who gave their lives standing up for their faith. Thousands, thousands of Christians around the world. And so how do you control or handle this kind of suffering when when you are confident God is with you? How do you deal with it when you get the news that from your doctor that is not the news you were hoping for or you get the, uh, the, the, the news from your company that this is your final day and they're handing you a box to pack up your belongings? How do you do that when you're confident that God is with you? Let me push it even further. How do you deal with that when you're not confident God is with you? When you can't feel his presence, when you feel like you're sinking down and you're reaching out, but you cannot find his hand to pull you out. And in these times, it's interesting. So in the, in the Bible, we see this. There are so many times that we see the miraculous movement and hand of God come and pull and rescue his people out of that trouble. But there are also times where, where we see in the Bible that there are people in trouble and they can't find God's deliverance. And they're crying out to God. And, and what the Bible calls that is, uh, is lament. They're called prayers of lament. And what do we, we mean by this? What is lament? Lament is this authentic, bold expression of sorrow, of regret, of frustration, of apathy and pain. Trusting that God hears, that he knows, that he cares. See, the, the Bible says this, that joy and suffering will come. They, they kind of work together hand in hand, that there, are, there is time for joy and there is time for weeping in fact we see uh, entire books of the bible books like job i think it's like 39 of the 50 chapters it's lament uh, uh books like lamentations it is a book about lamenting israel's state of where they're at and in the psalms there are 70 psalms of lament these prayers where where uh we see the the writer pouring out Uh, his heart to God. So here's our big idea today, and it fits into where we're going in our series, that to elevate your life, be honest with God. If you want to take notes, go to page 42 in your guidebook. You can write your notes in there. Uh, But to elevate your life, be honest with God. Sometimes, sometimes we have to stop pretending that everything is okay, that everything is going to be okay. And the Psalms reveal that God is big enough to handle Our prayers of lament, that God can handle it. He knows how you feel. He knows how you really feel. And so this morning, the psalm that we're going to look at is Psalm 42. Psalm 42. It's found on 560 in your Bibles in front of you. If you need a Bible, page 560. But in Psalm 42, uh, uh, as we're reading, uh, 
this is a moment where the, the psalmist feels, as we'll see, feels far from God, surrounded by the enemy, and an enemy who's taunting him, almost as if he knows that this, this one feels this distance from God and is, is taunting him. Where's your God when you need him? And so it only takes the pain and it magnifies it more and more and more. And the prayer really is, is, is caught up where a lot of us feel sometimes. God, where are you? Why is this happening? Psalm 42, starting in verse 1, says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so distur- disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. Well, in this psalm of lament, there's three things I want you to see about the nature of the way we cry out, the way that we are honest with God. And the the first thing we see about lament is that you honestly pour out your heart. You honestly pour out your heart. Uh, Lament is this honest honest pouring out of, of, of our heart, our sorrow, and despite all that the psalmist says about God, notice that there's, there's things that, that uh, he realizes. First, he feels this, that there is this sense of distance between him and God. There's this sense of longing for his, his presence. And so the image he gives in these first words are the, these images of, of a deer panting for water. Now, deers have instinct. They, they know where to find water. And so if you find a deer panting, this is speaking of drought. This is speaking of kind of a, 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 a kind of a desert condition. And he says, "This is." He gives this powerful image, one of the uh, powerful images of Scripture. This is what I feel like. My soul is parched, and he talks about this pain that he feels. That he misses. Notice what he misses: the joy of being in the presence of God. That, that he feels separated from worship. He remembers what it was like. Uh, some, some people have talked about it this way. They describe it this way. They call it a dark night of the soul. Uh, that there are these moments where we just, we just miss the presence of God. And so what do you do when God feels distance? We see that the, the psalmist honestly pours out his heart. But also notice this, that, that there's a sense of being overwhelmed and forgotten 
uh, he feels overwhelmed uh, by all the different things that are going on. And, and maybe you feel this too. Maybe as January is starting to kind of gain some steam, you're starting to feel overwhelmed by mounting bills and, and uh, just swelling decisions that are coming. Failures that feel unfixable. And he does this interesting image. Notice there's kind of this image first of wanting this water, and then there's a second image of a waterfall. And this, this idea of this kind of the power of this and being kind of caught in the power of this. And, and you sense this kind of, uh, kind of treading for life. I, 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 you know, living here at Huntington Beach, you, some of you, I, I think, would understand this. If you've ever been in the beach and you're having fun and, and all of a sudden there's a wave that comes that you didn't expect its height and when it came, you didn't know whether to jump or dive and you got caught right in the middle. If you get baptized at the beach, uh, you probably, this will happen to you, I guarantee you. You'll get caught one of the times and you get caught in what they call the wash cycle where you are tumbling and you put your hands out so you don't hit your head on the sand, but you're tumbling like a cartwheel in the water because you cannot figure which way is up and notice what he's saying he's saying this is what he feels he feels this sense that he's overwhelmed by everything that's going there's this distance that he needs deliverance he needs rescue and so what do you do when you feel overwhelmed and we see the psalmist honestly pours out his heart he laments and and lament we see it's raw it is honest Uh, he is worn out and this is why it's important. You know, sometimes we, we mean well when we come alongside people who are in this place and we, we try to get, you know, cheer them up. And sometimes we kind of cut the process short. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Ken's been really honest, you know, uh, in his, for he and Carrie, they have three beautiful kids, but for a long time they weren't able to have kids. And people would, you know, kind of try to meet them in that pain and say, you just need to relax and, you know, nice words, but some of you have, have heard these things. It didn't help. Pastor Jason, uh, when he was here, shared about how he had lost his daughter when she was only 30 uh, plus days old. And one woman said to him, you know, Jason, it's for the best. Really? It's for the best? And, and we know what she was trying to say, that, that she's now with the Lord and things like that. But in that moment, don't, you don't shortcut that. You enter into the pain. In fact, the scriptures tell us to mourn with those who mourn. And lament is tenacious. It, it doesn't look away from God. It says sometimes situations, this stinks. This is terrible. This week as I was doing the, the soap exercise, the, the devotion part in here, I realized, wow, three of the four goals that I've set for this year are the result of, of bad habits, bad decisions, bad circumstances, and I was frustrated. I was like, I don't want to be in this situation. And so it was interesting uh, working through this and sensing, one, the frustration and the pain I felt with myself, but also the sense of, Lord, I just thought it would be different. I thought it would be better. And being able to honestly like, express my sorrow and my frustration to him. We've had a, a, an amazing intern program here. A, a lot of great leaders have come up uh, because of the great work that really goes back to Doug Jeffrey and Jim Rice and others who built it up. Uh, one of my good friends was a, a, a former intern here, and he shares a story that I think is so valuable when we talk about this. I want to I'll just read what he, he shared with me. He says this. He says, uh, there was a season in my life, probably the roughest I'd ever faced. I was in my late 20s, college graduate, uh, interning in youth ministry position part-time. 
going to seminary, living at home, and experiencing what I see now as a number of challenging losses. I was beyond the edge of burnout, hurting, lost, depressed, feeling hopeless, and very, very angry about being in the place I felt I was in. My relationship with the Lord felt non-existent. I had not read the word other than to prepare a message or prayed other than to lead in a number of weeks. I felt alone in my struggles, isolated in my pain and shame since some of my hurt was the result of my own ideas about what I should be doing with my life. And all these emotions came to a head one morning on my way to seminary. I was racing up the 605 freeway to make an early class and the anger I felt towards God began to erupt from inside. I found myself having this one-sided conversation with God, fists in the air screaming at him from the top of my lungs. And I'm sure anyone who saw me must have thought I was either a crazy person or an actor rehearsing a part or a husband practicing his side of the story. I've been there and done all those a number of times since. He says, I remember shouting at him, you call yourself a loving God, an almighty God who has the best for our lives. Well, thanks a lot for this. I'm so sick of this life I'm living. If you are so mighty, then why don't you show up right here in my car? And I threw my books onto the floor without uh, uh, making room uh, on the passenger seat. And I screamed, you had better come down here and tell me something I need to hear right now. Or I'm done. I'm going to drive off this overpass and I'm going to end this myself. He says, no sooner had those words come out of my mouth that I noticed these pretty blue and red lights flashing in my rearview mirror. <laughs> he said, I remember thinking, great, just what I need. Thanks a lot, God. I pulled to the right in the emergency lane, stopped the car, leaving my hands at 10 and 2, set my heart on steam, and just watched him get out of the car and walk towards, towards mine. I knew right away from how he appeared that he was not a typical cop. He had the top of the morning hop in his step and he walked to my window and said, good morning, how you doing today? I remember grumbling something under my breath and he said, where are you headed so fast this morning? And I barked, I was not speeding. He said, well, let's just say you were traveling faster than the other cars on the freeway, so where are you going this morning? I thought, oh no, I have to admit, I'm on my way to seminary. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Where are you going? He says, I'm headed to seminary. I'm studying to be a pastor. He asked, oh, so you're a Christian, which was all too obvious because of the cross hanging from my rearview mirror and the little sign taped to my dash written by one of our church's first graders that read, God is thinking about you right now. I replied sarcastically, yeah, I guess you could say that. He asked for my license and registration and headed back to his car. I sat there watching him thinking, great, they'll find my car at the bottom of the overpass with a speeding ticket on the dash. Thanks again, God. I found it odd that he never grabbed his radio or anything like that. He just sat there for a few minutes and then came back to my car. He handed my license and registration and I took it on the seat and grabbed the, uh, the ticket book like I'd seen it happen in the movies. And I was surprised to see no ticket book. Uh, I asked, why no ticket? And the officer replied, no, not this time. You see, if I was to give you a ticket today, then I'd be a hypocrite. There have been times in my life where I was just going too fast. And what I needed was someone to slow me down. But I am supposed to give you a message. He had my attention. 
He said, I'm supposed to tell you, as he pointed to the little sign on my dashboard, he said, Jesus saved you once, and he will save you again and again and again. All you have to do is ask him. Have a good day. And he walked away. And at that moment, as I watched him get back in his patrol car and pull away, I heard myself screaming. I remember that moment screaming, you'd better come down and tell me something I need to hear or I'm going to end this myself. Who else could have stopped me? I pulled into the seminary parking lot with, uh, with time to spare. I grabbed my Bible off the floor and felt led to Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It was water to my thirsty soul. I've faced many difficulties since then, more than I ever expected, but God takes me back to what I call the 605 story like he is now. As I face another challenging season in my life, he reminds me that he is saving me, that his saving me is just an ask away. If we're going to elevate our lives, we have to be honest with God. I, before we can move forward towards where we want to go, we have to understand where we are. We have to define reality. And notice how the lament does this. It doesn't stray away from the sorrow, but it begins in that place so that it can move forward. But notice also what the psalmist does. He recalls God's active goodness. He recalls God's active goodness. He, he, he looks and he sees and he remembers the things about God that make him praiseworthy. He, he recalls all these different things. He describes them as we sung this morning, that he is a rock, he's a refuge, he's a, he's a stronghold. And he knows that God is his savior. He knows that he can rescue him. And so he, you have this mix of things going on, of what he knows to be true and what he feels in his situation. He knows that God is compassionate. There's a word love there in verse 8. I would encourage you to circle it, the word love there. But see, in the Old Testament, the word love is so, so powerful. It, it really is the word unfailing love. In the Old Testament, that when they speak of God's love, they speak of his unfailing love. And it's this reckless love that we just sang about, that, that, that somehow all the times it seems that God should have given up on Israel, that he wouldn't. He was, he was unfailing in his love. It didn't match. The, the, their behavior and his love for them did not match up. And we notice something, that there's a sense of trust that's building. We see it twice in the, in the psalm that there's a sense that he can trust in God, but trust is built on, on a couple of things, on understanding someone's character and understanding someone's competence. And you see him doing both those things. He's remembering God's character and who he is, but he's also remembering the things that he has done. He's remembering these times. He knows what God is capable of. And in these times, how important it is for us to recall God's active goodness in our lives. See, uh, for, for you and I, uh, we fill our lives with two things. Uh, sometimes our life with God is filled, with, is filled by what we feel. And, 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 and sometimes it's filled by what we know. 
Now, here's the thing about what we feel. It's the easier thing to fill our lives. It's just much easier to have an experience and just feel like we just know. We feel circumstantially. We just know God is on our sides. But what happens is sometimes we get to these places where the, the feel part of our life is empty. And how important it is for us to realize that our life has to be filled also by what we know of God. You think of the, the great truths that have been uh, shared in the moments today that God is our refuge, that he knows my name. He knows every thought. He, he, he knows when I feel these things and all these things that we think about, that these things about God, these things are there, this reservoir. Now, some of you might even remember there was a, there was a great illustration that I know I grew up with here. It was an image of a train and, and uh, Facts was on one side and feelings was the other. And the idea was this, you got to let feelings be the caboose. Because if feelings drive the train, then you're in trouble. The feelings are good and they're an important part. But sometimes what's so important we see in the psalmist is you have to recall the goodness of God. But here's the final thing I want you to see. Notice this, that there's this, this unique way in which we see the psalm kind of drop down. He's struggling, 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 and it hits this point of kind of rebound. He does it twice in the psalm, and what he's confident is this. He's confident that God is with him. Be confident that God is with you. This honesty is grounded in the confidence that God is with us, that he walks in the darkest valleys with us, And the psalm is filled with faith. The psalmist says, put your hope in God. He's telling himself, put your hope in God. There's more happening than I can see. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But he knows. Hope in the Bible is not like wishful thinking. It's not buying a lottery ticket and hoping that you'll win. Knowing that there's a you know, one in a billion chance that you're actually going to. Hope in the Bible is built on uncertainty. That's why when we speak of the resurrection, we talk about it as an anchor of hope for us. That we know with certainty of what has happened and what will happen. And he says, put your hope in God. He knows there's a sense of certainty that God is with him. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, he says, my Savior and my God. Verse 11 There is this powerful way that you see this. He's saying, he's telling himself, I know you don't feel this. But I know you know these things about him. And he's telling himself, put your hope in God. I, I, I think it's, so, it's, it's such good timing for us in some ways to talk about this today. Because in some ways, not only is this a, a, a moment where we, we feel ourselves dipping, but we're, we're, we're close enough to Christmas to be reminded of these powerful truths that, that God is for us. We see in the Christmas miracle, we see in Jesus coming into this world, that God is fighting for us, that God is for us, that he is with us, that Jesus enters into this world not only to, to bring us to God, but to, to, to come in and to come close to us. And this is why we shared on Christmas Eve, and, and you need to hear it again in Hebrews 4, that Jesus is so uniquely different in these moments. That it says this, that, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. And the scripture says, then let us, because he feels, he knows how to feel these things. He says, let us then come to his throne with confidence 
When you feel these things, you don't have to, to shy away. You can come with confidence. And it says, because uh, he will give you mercy and grace in your time of need. That when you feel this, I, I feel empty. I need mercy. I need help. I'm in a time of need. He says, great, come, approach my throne, daughter, son, come, come to my throne. Because I understand what you're feeling. Pour out your heart. I, I, I feel this with you. I understand it with you. Some of you are there today. And so here's what I want to invite us to do as a response. Uh, on page 43 of your guidebook, there's kind of an open page there. Uh, there's, a, there's a place where you could have taken notes, but on the, uh, maybe you've already started filling it, but on 43, there's a blank page, and if you have space there, what I want to encourage us is this. I'm just going to give you guys a, a moment of silence, and I want you to answer this question as a response. What do you need to honestly share with God? What do you need to honestly share with God? And you might want to put a thought there, a word there on page 43 in this moment of silence I'm going to give you. And this week, spend some, a little bit of time just thinking and articulating maybe your own prayer. But Christ is with you. He wants to hear you. He wants to walk with you. And for those of us maybe who don't feel that right now, we, we're just thankful that this is not one of those times but the scripture is very clear that, that when our brothers and sisters are going through that time, we, we go through it with them. And so be prayerful this week for those in our church who this is a time of, of struggle, who are crying out to God, and let's be praying for them, and let's be listening to them in our groups. And so let's bow together. Let me just give you a moment before Kathy leads us in a final song. Maybe you just need to write a word that will trigger your thoughts for later. But on page 43, is there a thought, is there something that just captures what, what do you need to honestly share with God? Let's take a moment to pray.
This morning as you leave, there will be uh, folks to pray for you here in the front, and, and uh, we don't want you to feel like we, we're, we're rushing you away. Uh, please stay and, and pray and, and don't feel hurried off. Um, as you go as well, our, we, we were sharing last week, our, our, we have a number of camps going on. We want to encourage you, would you take a, a prayer card for one of our, our young adults who are leaving for camp next weekend? Uh, we'd like, love for you praying for them. But I also need you praying for a, a team. We have a team leaving on Friday to Haiti. And uh, if some of you have been on our Haiti trip and you know, uh, you know, Haiti, there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on in Haiti. It's, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of, a lot of need. Uh, but wonderful people. And they're always so glad that we come. I mean, they're just filled with excitement that we come and, and partner with them. Some incredible leaders that are there that we get a chance to work with on some, uh, some uh, fascinating projects uh, of developing leaders and uh, caring for people in real need. And so would you join me in a prayer for Don? Don, would you come here and Tammy? Uh, Don and Tammy, Vernon and Zane. So, do I have it right? From our church are leaving Friday. So let's, would you join me in a prayer for them? And uh, any of you who want to come up here to the front, you can lay hand. Take one step forward. I'm going to put my hand here. Any of you who want to come up here and join a hand on them and put a hand of blessing on him, come on up. And that, uh, but feel free to stay where you are and just join us in that prayer. But if you'd like to come and pray for uh, them, you can. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, that we can uh, trust in you even uh, when there are difficult times. And, uh, and maybe that's the most important times that we, we really, our, our faith and our trust gets put on the line. We, 